0: Hello and welcome to this Christian Walk Podcast, the show where no topic is too taboo to empower you on your walk with God. I'm your host Marley B and it is my pleasure to invite you back to the conversation. And this week's conversation is one that all societies can relate to. We know that drugs has been a problem in our communities, in our society, in our world as a whole, Right. Today, we're talking to a young man who basically came into the street life looking for the glory and making money and having a fast life, having fast money, having fast women and everything else that came along with it. And because of that role, he lost pretty much all the relationships in his life and even his own freedom. But this story is not a story that ends... In death, but a story that ends in life. So Jason Johnson is is sharing his story with us of redemption, love,
1: and faith. So let's get into it right now. Uh, walk with me, talk with me. What you know about God? Will he ride with me? Come and open my eyes for me. hit my story. Show me more. What's in store? And once more, listen, homie. Can you walk? Okay,
0: Jason. Jason Johnson, thank you so much for joining me on TCW. Thank you for having me. No problem. You know, I have been, first of all, we are neighborhood homies, right? We grew up in the Absolutely. same neighborhood, went to the same high school, right? So I've been knowing you for years and years, right? But you're You know, years, adulthood, all of that has separated us. We don't went our own own way, but it's been very intriguing following your story online, you know, and even before TCW was a thing or thought or an idea in my head, I just thought how interesting it was, you know, your story and how interested it would be to talk to you. I'm like, when I'm in Detroit, I have got to see Jason because I mean, I'm just so proud of you. You know, you have overcome so much and I think so many people can learn from your experiences and you just have a, a great story that so many people can be blessed from, right? So um, just to give a little background, you know, um, on you, can you kind of just give, you know, just introduce yourself and just kind of say where you're from and, um, you know, just give me a little background on your Chat on your upbringing, like just your
1: and the younger years. There, okay. I'm um. My name is Jason Johnson, and um, I'm 41. Like you said, we grew up in the same neighborhood. I'm from Joy Road, Illinois area, Kentucky, Wyoming area, and um, I grew up in a single parent household. Me and I got one older brother, two younger brothers. And, um, you know, basically same, you know, um, lower-class family, mom, single mom, working, trying to uh, provide the best way she could for me and my brothers. And um, just growing up in that environment It's just uh, you end up getting into a lot of things, learning a lot of things that's probably unhealthy, and developing um an unhealthy appetite for uh things that you probably should <laughs> I'll just put it like that. And um, you know, I start running with the wrong crowd. But f- first, let me say, for the most part, up until high school, I was an honor roll student. Um, I value education. Um, I did well. We was poor. So during my uh, elementary and junior high years, um, my education or me being smart is what made me relevant. So uh, when in... uh, Now, when you say relevant, relevant in which way? And what way? Like as far as like, you know, some, some guys, some kids is popular because... You know, their parents bought them the latest clothes and they were like in the in crowd and stuff like that. So uh, unfortunately that wasn't my 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 situation. You know, we were uh it was poor, you know. and but that's uh, how
0: you stood out being that that honor student. That's how yeah, you stood out. Yeah, I would
1: out. look forward to getting my good fellow box every year.
0: Now I get that, I remember the good fellow box. <laughs>
1: that
2: so sweater like, was
1: itchy, but you know, yeah.
2: it was, <laughs> but it yeah, was good. So, uh,
1: <laughs> So um, at that time, you know, winning the spelling bees, uh, academic achievement awards, and just uh, first or second place in like science projects that would help to keep me, you know, um, in the in crowd, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak. And mm-hmm. um, but when we got to high school, that wasn't necessarily the case no more. You know, uh, girls wanted, <laughs> yeah, girls wanted, uh, they wanted guys who could buy their friends, Dairy Queen, uh-huh. you know, and who was driving. they, they, some of the, the guys I knew cars was, uh, better than, look better than the teacher's cars, you mm-hmm. know? So during, so that was like a whole transition period for me and me being, you know, interested, you know, and one to attract the ladies or whatever, um I fell victim to the, the oppressive lord of the street. Now you was
0: after uh, that blizzard money. You was trying to get that blizzard money absolutely. to get <laughs> I had trying to get
1: that blizzard <laughs> money with the extra the extra <laughs> You know, but um I had a few a, a couple friends that was hustling and but to be honest I had higher expectations for myself. I think my mom and my grandparents did too. But uh, I used to feel like that selling dope was for dudes that couldn't fill out a job application. Mm -hmm. So I never thought that I would see myself in that situation. Um, It wasn't something that I was- Aspiring to do. No, I wasn't really interested in that lifestyle, but um, needless to say, the opportunity became available. I had one a uh, high school, one of my homeboys I grew up with and he uh he would all he would have he had ring uh, rings on every finger you know I'm talking about wing on <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah <laughs> his girlfriend stayed on your street
0: uh okay I know who
1: you're talking yeah. about <laughs> yeah so um <laughs> he shall remain nameless yeah so uh I was just fascinated by the jewelry and the attention and stuff like that. And he, uh, he introduced me to, you know, that, that lifestyle. And, um, I excelled fast because I was smart. So i took the, you know, um, book smarts I had and applied it to the streets. And I kind of took off, you know, running and, um, I did well. So, um, that's kind of how I got to, you know, the criminal activity, the street life, and just, um, going on the other side of the tracks, literally.
0: Right. And so that happened right, right around ninth grade, or was it like- That was about like ninth
1: grade, because we, we stayed on, uh, I grew up, my mom, my grandparents lived on Brighton across the tracks, like- Mm -hmm you know past the uh, holidays then my mom got a house on Kentucky um in Joy Road that's how i met you know uh my childhood best friends and mm-hmm. and i grew up with that side of the tracks mm-hmm. so i grew up over there until about uh 8th grade then we moved back across the tracks my grandparents bought another uh, house and my mom ended up buying a house from them so we moved back across the tracks that's when the game changed mhm You know, and um, that was around ninth grade. And, you know, uh, I started experiencing a lot of the things I just discussed. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's how I got introduced to that lifestyle. Mm -hmm.
0: And when we talk and like we had a brief conversation the other day about the lack of mentorship, you know, in our neighborhood. Right. The influences that we had, they were limited at best. Right. And so that's why I think, you know, you, you know, being the type of person that you are. Living through the things that you have lived through, and you stepping out to mentor others, you know, we'll get into you know your journey further how you're doing that. It's so important. But when you think about you know, because you this is this Christian walk, right? So obviously you have a, a relationship with God now, right? You got your nice Kingdom Citizen shirt on there, right? And then so, but you had a foundation of spirituality, you know, with your mom and your grandparents, correct? And then You had, you know, kind of tell us about your foundation of faith and, you know, how that started
1: for you. Um, My mom was always a a spiritual woman. My grandparents were originally in the church. They owned a church. My grandmother owned a hair salon. It was in the real estate and things like that. So that initially was their... uh, the, the, their uh, belief just, but eventually they became <clears throat> excuse me they became Jehovah Witnesses my mom became a Jehovah Witness and uh so me and my older brother we would go you know to the Kingdom Hall and um for years and I think around the time I turned 12 um it was uh, one of my childhood friends his grandparents on the church. And every day after school, I would go over there and uh, his mom or his grandmom or whatever, they would make dinner. But before dinner, they would like read scriptures mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stuff. And they were Christians. So um, <laughs> the scriptures was kind of like the appetizer for uh, the dinner. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you chew and, and on and this like, point, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So <laughs> Initially, it was like uh, you know, you're going to get fed. Your spirit going to get fed before you get fed. Right. You know? And uh, originally, it was kind of a, uh, all right, well, let me get this out the way first so I can get the food. So I can eat. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, actually, it, it ended up uh, they planted seeds. Mm. So I started, they would, uh, they had a church van. They would take, you know, um, try to take as many people in, in our immediate uh, area to church as possible. Sometimes Sundays they would rotate, you know, if you went, you know, they got to a point where when they start the church van up on Sunday morning, all the kids would take off running and like the seeds, once the seats get filled, like y'all, well, you can go next Sunday, you right. know, but um, I like, I start going and just the praise and worship music, the Holy Spirit, and just the whole atmosphere, it uh it sparked something in me, mm-hmm.
2: you know, at a
1: young age. Like I said, I probably was about 12, but, um, you know, I, I was in and out, I was a teenager, a young kid, you know, mm-hmm. basically preteen and, you know, so uh, sometimes I would go, I would, I would learn things and things like that, but at the same time, like I said, I was still, um curious about the street i still had a a, a urge to i'm gonna tell you what what one thing that was like one of the deciding factors in me um getting was being fed up one day we would play basketball in front of the house uh in the streets you know how we do Mm -hmm. and um one summer we was out there playing basketball the whole neighborhood was outside and uh, this girl I like was out there too, and, um, while we out there, it's hot in the middle of summer, the, uh, water company pulled up while we playing basketball, got out and just turned our water off in front of the whole neighborhood and, that and so this. now
0: when you say fed up this is when you like i need to get this is another one of those i need to
1: get my own money type of thing yeah like that was just the line or just like one thing it was it was it wasn't as embarrassing because i come home from school hit the light switch and nothing but see mm-hmm. everybody couldn't see that so right. like i'm not gonna say i was used to it but you know it was our reality at one point in time but uh That right there, being humiliated in front of the whole neighbor, especially the girl that I like, though. Right, right, right. right. That was like, so, um, I, uh, it's time to go to the
0: game, right? So now it started off in ninth grade, and then, like you said, you were good at it, right? So I'm sure it evolved quickly. Did you finish high school?
1: I didn't, um. What it was, what happened was, I would, I was still, you know, trying to finish school. So I would go to school Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Friday, I would go home, pack an overnight bag. I would go sit in the crack house from Friday night, Friday afternoon to Sunday night. Go home, you know, get ready for school the next day. And I did that for a while until we started making so much money. At that age, I was a, a teen, and I felt mm-hmm. like um, like I said, I, I progressed real, I progressed really fast and, mm-hmm. and um, moved up in rank. So um, my, in my mind, I'm like, <laughs> I don't need school no more. Mm-hmm. I'm rich, basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, I start stopped cutting class. Because when I started making money and start being able to buy, you know, leather jackets and driving to school, and stuff like that, I would just show up to school just mm-hmm. to, so everybody could see the flash. Shine on. So mm-hmm. I can flex. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And then leave when I get done flexing or whatever. And eventually, I just quit going all together. You know?
0: Mm-hmm. When you th- when was it when you
1: quit? You Probably say? like, it was like I had, when we was supposed to go to the 11th grade, I didn't have enough credits to move on. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go to summer school. So I was going to have to repeat that or, you know. So that's when I just uh It was like you know, I ain't doing no
0: repeat Yeah.
1: You know, we kind of like all of our 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 uh class of 97 or whatever we went from Drew to Mackenzie and whatever. And it was like when my class moved on, I just I lost, I mean, I, I lost my uh my my inspiration. Like, you know, my group gone, they went their separate ways, and I just felt like that uh something in me just i couldn't move forward mm-hmm. like that i was embarrassed you know so i just stopped going
0: right okay so as you are progressing in the game so to speak you know at this point 11 you know you're about what 17 18 years old at this time yeah and then so you know you guys you know have multiple businesses as teens. you guys have businesses you guys are making money you shining hard. you partying hard. You feeling, um, I know at, there was an abrupt stop, right? To, you know, you in the game. Could you tell us about that? Like, you know, about how you got, you were doing good and then what happened?
1: Um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. What, what do you mean?
0: So as you were doing good and you're doing well in the game, right? You, you know, years are passing and then at what point did it change what point oh, did it,
1: you know i uh i was i was going out of town and i would be on a Greyhound and uh sometimes i would be on on a bus for 17 hours you know i might have a layover for 3 hours but that's a long time to be riding.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I needed something to stay awake. So I started doing coke.
2: Mm.
1: And so I could watch my package. And, um, and how old were you then? Probably like... 20. About 20. Okay. So you're so about four,
0: um, year, four or five years in at this point.
1: Yeah. And um, so then... I, uh, that progressively just, it, it, uh, it progressed into other things and, um, it didn't happen like immediately. I was was just about to ask that, like, how, how long did the progression take? It was like, it was, it, it took, you know, maybe a couple years because I would only do it like when I went out of town or when I was with a certain group of individuals or things like that. It was more of a a recreational thing Mm -hmm. outside. If I I wasn't traveling, then it was just like uh, every blue moon or because um, that wasn't i'm not gonna say it wasn't popular but it wasn't like the thing to do or it's something that you want to just go around yeah because in our hood right we was regular
0: right and then it was just it was just like people that smoke weed people that drunk and then it was just
1: like fiends like everything
0: else was in the fiend bubble
1: In you know yeah Yeah, so it was kind of taboo i get that yeah but then too you know but then you had like ecstasy start coming in That Mm -hmm. was around that time, and um, I experimented with that and um, just got into like party mode. Mm -hmm. So I ended up experimenting with a lot of stuff. And um, eventually that spiraled out of control, and um, I couldn't just suppress it till when I was out of town. Mm It you became
0: know, something you had you felt like you had to do.
1: Not just it was just uh yeah, like I would drink and then um after so long, so many drinks, then I would veer off into that, you know, and then mm-hmm. and and that and a lot of other stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And um now when you say other stuff, like can you like, be specific? Like uh anything you could think of like not hard drugs anything uh, so like pills every like if it was if it, if you eat half of it <laughs> i
0: mean like i mean cuz we can we, we it's glue in there it's, it's no, all- i'm talking <laughs> about like
1: all hard drugs like heroin meth mm-hmm. crack like you know what i'm saying whatever mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't uh I'm not gonna say it wasn't no boundaries, but mm-hmm. um, so dude, like it
2: started off gas, with trying to stay
0: open. up, right? It started off trying to stay up with coke, right? Do you feel like now? What What do you think caused the switch to go to like heroin and and you know anything you know the because I could see you know saying, hey, I need this coke. This is gonna keep me up for my board to make sure I'm aware of whatever is going on but what make what what click to say hey let me try this heroin let me try crack let me try you know what what happened there can you can you identify that
1: I guess um having access to it
2: Mm.
1: and just having the um experiencing the euphoria in Mm -hmm. one substance wondering well i'm i'm try this or i have this so like for one thing i kind of think i kind of uh rationalized it because ecstasy has a little bit of everything in it Mm -hmm. so you know figured it's like i already been doing it yeah Mm -hmm. you know so that's where that uh that logic came Mm -hmm. in that was a (laughs) bright
0: like it's all in here anyway it's all the same it's all the same stuff
1: right yeah so that's where that bright idea came from
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay okay I get it now now going and I going through so at this point you like 20 you you all the way in so, at what point?
1: I, no, I, no, I think I started with the Coke like around like 20. Like the hard drugs, they didn't come till oh, okay. like. Okay, that was about
0: 22, 23. I was like
1: maybe 25, 26, 27 later. Later. Like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, because like I said, when I started doing I started at like 20. But like I said, mm-hmm. it took a couple years. For the other stuff. For, yeah, the progress. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, like later, you know, once that was like, I guess I built up a tolerance
2: mm-hmm.
1: so high for that. And then having access to just basically anything I wanted you know it was uh
0: and I like how you said that anything I wanted right because I want to ask you this like do you think the fact that you know that you're making money that you basically your own boss you 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 pretty much the man right you pretty much the man at this point right I you, wasn't
1: but I was close enough you, to it you know what I'm saying like
0: the second man like you <laughs> like this like the man under the man or something
1: yeah something like that
0: right so that's still at a good you still got to seat at the table Yep. right so do you feel like you were invincible so to speak is do you think like maybe pride or arrogance had anything to do with your ability um, to do it
1: like this I'm ain't gonna, gonna do to I'm me gonna say that, I'm gonna say ignorance mm. stupidity um because uh i don't think like i mean for me I, i'm not gonna say uh, really associate arrogance with uh like an invincibility like a father. I'm gonna use this, and I'm not gonna get hooked. Like I think it was just um, caught up in a lifestyle.
2: Mm.
1: Like I said, it was it was accessible, mm-hmm. and um, like our environment, you know we we use recreational drugs every day, mm-hmm. all day um drinking you know we wake up first thing in the morning 40 you know like it wasn't unusual to just be high 24 7 Mm -hmm. so it's just like what are you using or like it it just the the habits were already in place it was just the substance the substance has changed
0: so like as a person who is selling this you see the people that are using it right you see the people that are living on the streets who are offering you sexual favors for you know drugs and whatever else you've seen the fiends what in you made you say even though this is doing this to them
1: it's not going to do it to me you know you would be like i think i was in the car with my kids one day or something and I think, first of all, that may be, and I see the, the initial reason
2: mm-hmm.
1: I did probably wasn't uh, arrogance or overly confident or whatever it was, but the continued use and just uh, going overboard with it or whatever, that may have had some type of, some uh, something to do with being overly confident or whatever, like that's not going to happen to me. Like, I think I was in a car, I was in a car with my kids one day. My, I think my youngest son asked me. It was a dude pushing the shopping cart with, like, aluminum siding from my house or something. He was like, Dad, how do people get like that? And I'm like, I don't know. And uh, a few, like, years later, I found out, you know.
0: Mm. So. so as you, you know, you meet your you know, the, you're at the progressive stage and it starts to, you know, spiral or at what point, what happened to where you realized that you had a problem?
1: When I ended up in prison.
2: And so
0: how how what age were you when that happened?
1: like uh like 26 about 26
0: yeah so, so right at 20 so yeah, that was right at that peak where you know the progression was at the height do and what contributed to you going to prison?
1: Just um uh, I broke
2: the law <laughs> no, <I'm just>
0: <laughs> I, yeah <laughs> yeah I don't uh, want to assume that but because there is some innocent people in there no, but. yeah
1: but uh I allowed my uh decisions my decision making got distorted and I uh put myself in a position that I shouldn't have, and and eventually, and ultimately I had to pay the consequences for that decision. So I I got um, a documentary coming out and Mm -hmm. we working on a book and some other stuff. So I don't wanna go too far into details and like Mm -hmm. give too much of it away, but like uh, that's basically just decisions and um, being reckless.
0: Mm. Okay, understood. Well, I can't wait to watch that <laughs> and read that book too because I know it's gonna be interesting, right? Yeah. So, you know, you're in prison at this point, right? We we will we'll wait for the, uh, we're gonna stay tuned to find out the details behind that, right? But we know that it happened. I get that. Um, so when you get there and you realize that you have, you know, you so how long were you in prison?
1: Uh the first time I did uh I did a little over a year.
0: hmm Yeah. And and then so the first time was that a time when you start, you know, did you say so you realized you had a problem then? Did you start, you know, correcting that issue then or was it
2: later? Yeah,
1: I did, I did uh I got a grip.
2: hmm
1: and uh I did real well for a long time, mm-hmm. and um, see, uh, it's kind of it's a it's a sensitive subject because
2: I understand.
1: I understand. because um, I had un- unhealthy relationships, you know, with people I associated with and relationships I was in, you know, um uh, it kinda um I take full responsibility for the decisions I made mm-hmm. and the situations that I put myself in. But um being in unhealthy relationships and um that friendships with, or romantic relationships, family yeah, relationships,
0: yeah. All of them? Yeah,
1: like romantic relationships and uh, friendships too, you know, um, they contributed.
2: Mhm. And to, so, uh, do you,
0: so with those unhealthy relationships, do you are you saying that those drove you into
1: like a relapse? It didn't. Dri- it didn't drive me because I mean, one thing like today, that's really important to me mm-hmm. is taking ownership. Mm-hmm of my decisions and the situations that I I end up in. Like when you look at your driver's license, it's only one person on there. So you can try to spin it, rationalize whatever, and blame the 1,500 other people why you ended up in the situation you was in. But at the end of the day, you had to be the one to pull the trigger or whatever. Make that final decision. So did they have an unhealthy influence or cause stress or uh, frustration or things like that? And my uh, my my way of, of coping was to drink or to use drugs. Like, you know, and like I said at the end of the day, they can't make me do anything that I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. But that was my choice, you know, or my way of coping. My coping mechanism Mm
2: -hmm. was
1: uh, unhealthy. And that's what I mean by um, just putting myself in unhealthy relationships, you know, romantically or just platonic Mm -hmm. Mm friendships, You know, so um, eventually I, uh, after going to prison the first time, I moved. To a different city, uh, cause around nineteen, I had a childhood friend who was in youth ministry. He, uh, he gave me a um, a word from God that he had put on his heart, and you know he saw what I was going through. Well, basically I wasn't really out of control at this time. You know, I was kind of like in the height of my career or mm-hmm. whatever, my uh, street, my mm-hmm. street life. Yeah,
0: I was in your street career, <laughs> just yeah. street life, same thing. Uh,
1: so he said, "Uh, you got to get the influence and you're using it in the wrong way right now. And mm-hmm. he like, "Uh, you lead people in the wrong direction and you have to take account for that. He said before, Today, if you was naive or didn't know no better, then uh you probably can get it pass or whatever. But now from this day forward, you know, you gonna have to take account, you know, because I'm telling you,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all the people that you that you, you know, you have a gift of influence and you're using it in the wrong way, right? In the wrong, in the wrong way right now. And um I'm <laughs> I'm like, man, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> but uh yeah. it's like after, you know, they're having that conversation, like all oh, hell broke loose yeah oh wow yeah it's it's like it's happened slowly but just looking back Mm
2: -hmm. you know
1: I I realized that um that was uh that was the beginning yeah so uh fast forward when I uh got out of prison the first time I moved to a different city um eventually uh got involved in the church more um but see the only the thing then was I didn't understand what a relationship what, what God was like
2: mm-hmm.
1: or or how it how it worked, you know. And I was naive. I thought that I thought that as long as you go to church on Sunday and um you do your Bible studies and things like that, that the other six days of the week, you know. It was yours. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, you know, people will say stuff and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I go to church every Sunday. Every
0: Sunday, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it was like, now, Saturday, now, Monday through Sunday, I mean, Saturday, then that's like a different story. So it's like, and I was so, um, naive Mm -hmm. and just not knowing that, um, having a relationship with God is more than just going to church on Sunday.
0: I get that. And I, I, I have to, um, mirror that a little bit because I grew up going to church, my whole life but I didn't understand I didn't get a relationship with God until I was in my 30s you know what I'm saying like into my 30s that's when I started and it felt like at the you know it was just like dang I can't believe it's a trip how you can do something so long and just miss the mark and it make you fit and that's something that you gotta you gotta come to grips with the fact that you know what I've been doing this thing wrong you know what I'm saying? And yeah. so it's just like, wow. I'm, I've am i been missing the mark totally. Because I know how it is to be that person. Like, I go to church. I go to church. But it's just like, no. Do you have a relationship with God? Yeah. That's the thing that people miss.
1: Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I still miss the mark.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like now, I'm going to tell you what it was, too. Like, I know I had a call on my life, like I said back then, but I was running.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: once I realized that calling and the, the, the weight. Or the responsibility to come along with it that made me run even more because when you are given a position of leadership or uh whatever you get in front of people it's like you are under a microscope mm-hmm. and you have to live a certain type of way and be accountable and I didn't want none of that stuff mm-hmm. I wanted to live my life the way I wanted to and like I'm not trying to live for nobody else and be an example or whatever that is and I'm like and uh, I had the Jonah syndrome, <laughs> mm. you know what I'm saying? So, mm. uh, but uh, I, I try to, to, to stress to people that I never want to um, to come across just because, you know, God has given me a talent, a skill, and um, has, has, you know, shown me so much favor over the years that I feel like, I got everything figured out. Mm-hmm. I'm better than somebody else because he provided me with a platform to do certain things that I'm um, different from anybody else because I'm not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I still struggle every day just mm-hmm. like the next person do. You know, mm-hmm. I still have uh, episodes where I need prayer or I need, you know, to be uh, to be forgiven. Mm hmm. I need to be redeemed. I need to have, you know, soul cleansing. And it's just, uh, the thing is, though, it's just a distinguishing quality between me and a lot of other people. It's just when I fall, I don't stay down there and I just don't quit. I hit bumps in the road, but now I understand that like when I go through hard times and I struggle, it's like preparation for the next phase and whatever God got for me. And, and so I can be prepared to endure, you know, like, you know, Count it all joy.
2: Yeah.
1: Like Paul yeah. said, you know, and it's like sometimes I feel like that we have this, you know, it's real easy to, to quote scripture and tell other people, give other people constructive, uh, not constructive criticism, but advice. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't even follow it ourselves. like, mm-hmm. you know, you will say uh, we're going to be persecuted and you're going to go through stuff. But when it starts happening, like Paul said, it's like, why are you acting like something is strange? Mm-hmm. When it says, I think sometimes we have this misconception that when you become a Christian or you start following Christ, that life gonna get easier. Get it's hurtful, like yeah. the opposite. It get harder. especially it get harder. Yeah, it's easy to play Christian. Yeah. But when you serious, and the then and the devil know you serious, mm-hmm. he gonna like he come come for you harder than any than he has ever before. So it's like, um, you gotta be strong. Yeah. Like, especially when, like, somebody like me, I understand how important I was for him and his kingdom. With the gift of influence that I have, using it uh, in a negative way Mm -hmm. and and, and to serve, you know, him. He didn't, you know, he wasn't going to let me go easily. He's still not.
0: No, because he got plans for you. And, you're, and when you think about your story, like, you know, I know you said, you know, the first time it didn't stick, right? So you ended up going back to jail? Yep. And then um, how I was long? 35. At, but you did five that time? Yep, I was 35. You was 35? And then how many years did you do? Five years. You did five years at, at 35, right? And then so during that time, you know what I'm saying? What What did it look like, you know, I knew you said it didn't stick the first time so at this time what was different the second time
1: um <laughs> the time <laughs> <laughs> older right <laughs> not just that like that five years to oh, look yeah. at you know that was like, okay this is for real yeah um because I signed a plea agreement mm-hmm. for 12 to 24 months but I was in a different county and the judge was like sir this is not Wayne County um the probation department recommended 60 to 180 months. Well over my guidelines. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I just felt hollow. Like everything in me just fell apart. And mm-hmm. um, but I feel like a good father knows his kids. Mm-hmm. And if I had a went and did county time and got right back out this my whole situation would be completely different mm-hmm. so i feel like everything happened for a reason and um so uh the first two years i was locked up i was on like on autopilot because i was mad because like i said i was in the church i was a usher um i was doing well and i just made a decision you know, that really was uh unhealthy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I end up getting a lot more time than I should have. Everybody else they got charged with the same crime that I did had almost similar senses and it was a lot less than what I got. Mm-hmm. But um so the first two years I was uh I was angry. I felt like that God turned his back on me, you know, because um I don't know. I just had, I had a heart. My heart had got hard. Mm-hmm. And um, one day I was in the, uh, like in the in the in prison. They always running out of stuff. You know, like food running out. Like the officers to be harassing me and stuff like that. So one day we was in line, and they uh, it was cold. It was like winter time too. Our uh the place where we went to eat called a child. Uh, it was uh it was also it was. To get there, you had to go outside. Some places you have the kitchen or the, the cafeterias inside the unit. But this place particularly I was at, you had to walk outside across the yard to go eat. When we were standing outside, it was like 30 minutes. And like, I was pissed. I'm like, dang, man, they always running out of stuff. So I'm standing there and I just had this epiphany like, you asked to be here. So, if they, when you come back from school, class, and your mattress turned over, everything emptied out your locker, if they run out of something every day, whatever the situation is, you asked to be here. Like, even when in the courtroom, when I got over-sentenced, if I would have never put myself in front of a judge, that wouldn't have never happened. So, that's why I said where the ownership come in at. Mm -hmm. You got to take ownership so uh that's what changed this time so i said when i first got to this uh the first two years i was up north but i came down here to muskegon where i'm at right now where i spent the last three years of my sentence but when i first got there one of the guys that that did um some of the discipleship classes i was enrolled in um he's a good brother and uh he did our orientation when we first sat on my group he asked he asked us a question he said, uh, how many of y'all was ready to go home? When they put y'all in the back of the cruiser when you got arrested. And everybody put their hand up. Mm-hmm. And he was like, But well, how many of y'all was prepared? And we just look and I'm like, what is this dude talking about?
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: he was like, uh, use this time while you in here to prepare yourself. Cause I remember the first time when I went home from prison, only thing on my mind was going home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm trying to figure out what to say to the parole board, uh, getting certificates. All my focus was on them getting out the door. It wasn't, it was just focused on going home. Never did it cross my mind. How are you gonna stay home? Right, right. Or what are you gonna do once you get there? Right. So this time right. by him asking me, um, how were you prepared? I felt like that every day, you know, I wanted to learn something different that I didn't know the day before. And um, I wasn't sitting around playing chess all day, um, spending a bunch of hours in a weight pit. This is one thing right here that really was like uh, a light bulb just went off in my head. When I I signed up for the game room, uh, to go to the weight pit, to do all these other extracurricular activities. And it was like a month wait, uh a two-month wait to get into all these other things but i signed up for a, a, a library call out and got them a call up the next day
0: so you wait you signed up for what now
1: it's like so this is this is what i'm saying this is what let me know what people priorities was i tried to sign up for like the way pit for the game room for all these other extracurricular activities
2: Mm-hmm. And it was like
1: a month wait to get on the list, of a two months wait. But when I signed up to go to the library, I got a call out for the next day. Oh, got it, got
0: it. So, so that's fly- gonna lead leading you to where you put No, yeah, but done. it was just
1: like dude uh attention is 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 uh in the wrong place. It's like they get they right. it's, it's a it's a long line to go play all these different games, but to go educate myself, no is that that means the library no is empty. <laughs> no waiting. I mean, it's empty, it's no waiting to get in there and I'm just like a light bulb just went off. So um, I just spent the, the uh, those three years doing a lot of personal and professional development. I met a lot of good people. Um, they believed in me. They saw, you know, uh, the things that I had to offer, the amount of favor that I had on my life and how present God was, you know, his anointing. So um, I don't feel like anything happens. I don't believe in coincidences. So uh, that was the difference, you know, just uh, the preparation, and this time, um, going to see the parole board. I was uh, preparing myself for whenever they let me out, cause uh, I had some things I needed to go to deal with, as far as like trauma
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and baggage and things like that. And you had guys that been down for a long time. And it was like, uh, if you go see a psychiatrist that can stop you from going home on time. If the parole board see you have any site, you gotta get psychiatric uh, clearance Mm
2: -hmm. or
1: you gotta get clear about a site before you can go home. And I'm like, if that's gonna stop me from going home, then I ain't ready to go home yet. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is that's going on with me on the inside, I need to get this fixed. Mm -hmm. And let me commend
0: you right there black man for that because seeking therapy and help for mental strain is such a taboo, especially for the black male, right? And so for you to be brave enough to not only seek the help, do it at the cost of basically, potentially your freedom, you know, I have to commend you on doing what it takes to take care of yourself like that. And I want that to be pretty much the, if nothing else, seeking the help that you need. Because like, while you looking at like the drug use and all of that stuff, I mean, while it might not have a a pride or arrogance at certain different levels, there was something there, you know what I'm saying? That, you know, help those triggers come. You know what I'm saying? And so being able to get to the root of that is so important. And I believe why you're standing so tall today. So that is, that is excellent. And then when you start getting that help in, in, inside, right, what was that? You know, how, how was that for you? Like when you start feeling, you know,
1: getting healed emotionally? It, um, it was life changing because we never realized how much stuff we suppress and how that suppression affects us mentally sometimes physically um it's really unhealthy like trauma untreated trauma is like any other daily disease Mm
2: -hmm.
1: cancer uh diabetes or whatever it is if you don't treat it you know it could be deadly so um just going deep down and being vulnerable Mm
2: -hmm.
1: with another human being and uh allowing them, because if you if you only give them half the story, they only gonna be they only gonna be able to give you half the solution. Yeah. So if I'm if, if I'm willing to be completely transparent with them and tell, you know, this therapist just was wrong. And then once you open it up and they start to go on like um, cause at first initially I probably was like, once I realized, like I'm not about to be telling all my uh my deep, dark secrets to no complete stranger. Right, right. And I thought about it, I'm like, I might not never see this person ever again in my life. (laughs) That's a good way to think about it. Matter of fact, I'm like, you know what? Oh, and let me tell you what else happened. So I just like, (laughs) you know, I just start saying everything. And it's like, once it got rolling,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, the floodgates open. But like I said, once you open up that can of worms, You never realize how much stuff is down in there. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it's like you start peeling those layers back and um, it's like a gate. behold. that's one of the things that I think for me personally kept me in bondage with my addiction. First of all, the enemy used those secrets and those things to control us. Mm -hmm. And it's like a dark cloud. Like they're going to find out your secrets. Yep. Fear, even shame, guilt. Do this, you. I do this. Yeah. So it's like, let me take control of that and just mm-hmm. tell everybody, I'm struggling. I've been through this. I've been addicted, whatever. So it's like, now you can't tell nobody nothing. Now you can't use that against me no more. Mm-hmm. Let, let everything out in the open. So uh, that's like my music is like really one of the biggest things. But anyway, uh, just uh able to 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 heal those wounds. It uh it helped me to be more effective to be able to help other people because I know what trauma looks like. I know what it sounds like and I know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. So I feel like everything I've been through in my life up to this point has equipped me to do like the job, the work that I do today. That's why I'm saying. I don't believe anything. is a coincidence. But like even my therapist, because initially when I went, I said, "Uh, I feel like I'm bipolar because sometimes some days I wake up and I'm just like, I'm angry. She was like, that don't mean you're bipolar. She was like, some days I wake up and I'm pissed off. <laughs> you know, bipolar. She was like, and I said, then thinking ther- like therapy is, is frowned upon. I'm like, I felt like I was crazy mm-hmm. seeing a psychiatrist. She was like, I see a therapist. She said, can you imagine us sitting here listening to all y'all all stuff right mm-hmm. We need therapy after we yeah. get done with that. There's nothing wrong with getting therapy so... Um, then we we associate vulnerability with, with weakness yeah like from the hood or like our culture mm-hmm. to prison those two environments if you vulnerable or show vulnerability it's like a uh you get preyed on
0: yeah cuz especially um in the street life you can't show vulnerability so <laughs> that had to be a skill that you had to master not yeah. being vulnerable you know what i'm saying so you even more so You know what I'm saying? So I I get that 100%. Now you got the help that you need, right? And so when those doors opened that last time, did you, you, it felt, did it feel different? Did you know that you was ready to go home and be home this time? Like, like the the man said, when the doors opened this time?
1: Yeah, I, um, because of what, it wasn't about me no more. I had I got so many tools in my toolkit. Like one of the guys that in my uh, I was in a faith dorm, and I, I built a lot of uh, a, a lot of relationships with some real positive guys. And one uh, in particular, he uh, he was really inspirational and had a huge influence, a, a big impact on me. Mm-hmm. Um, He said, when you go home, he said, uh, cause I'm like, man, I'm nervous. And I said, "Uh, when you go on stage to go preach or when you're in certain situations, I said, you still feel nervous and stuff like that. He said, man, God has given you uh, so much talent and so much favor. He said, when you go out there, he like you represent the king. So when you was in the street, you weren't worried about that. You was doing it to the best of your ability, right? He said, uh, when you go out there or when you're on stage or when you're in certain environments and you represent the king, he said, that's your moment. And he said, own it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's your moment. And he said, if you ain't, move out the way and let somebody else do it. <laughs> Flat out now that's
0: great and I know now since you've been doing so much great work right so your story I mean you can relate to so many people right so many people you have been like just for different stages of your life and I, I love going down memory lane with you even though you was like you had to take a minute to, to get into that nostalgia for a minute like dang thinking about the science projects and all of that. You had to go back and sit in that for a minute, right? But when you think about, you know, the work that you're doing now, tell us a little bit about that work now.
1: I work, um, I'm a client support specialist for a mental health agency here. And um, we deal with people who have substance abuse issues, legal problems caused from substance abuse, or substance uh or doing things to get them in trouble to try to get substances. Um mental health issues, people that have dual diagnosis. That's a, a person who suffers from substance abuse and has a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, five out of 10 people that have that have substance abuse issues also have a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. That's then,
2: like
1: I'm sorry, go ahead. So uh, basically, um, I am a peer recovery coach. That's the term is just a fancy name for I'm basically just a peer recovery coach where um, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a counselor. I just have developed a certain uh, skill set that has helped me to manage my life
2: mm-hmm.
1: a little bit more. Um, they have it's like a, a different, you know, skill set, like abstinence versus moderation. Mm-hmm. Like you can't force anybody to do anything. And like when you have these NA sponsors and AA that's like, you need to do this, you need to do that, and have all of these security uh, measures in, in place. Once you remove those out the way, the person that just fall through the cracks. Mm-hmm. So but our, my job is to assist these people and to, you uh, Motivational interviewing is a technique to try to get them to to think on their own and to come up with their own treatment plan, and to uh, develop their own uh, skill set and things that will help them to manage and develop a healthier lifestyle. Like, um, I'm not going to ever tell anybody you should never, you know, drink or do this or do that. I just want to try to help them develop a healthier lifestyle. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so you're kind of like an accountability partner? Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. Okay. And, um, just basically it's like, like I said, uh, I don't never want to try to come off I of had a superior uh, mentality. Yeah, like or, or uh, you know, just like um, I got this or this is how I figured everything out or I'm so much better than you or whatever it is. It's just like uh, you, I want to walk alongside them and share my experiences with them my uh, highs, my lows, the pitfalls, the mistakes I made and whatever else it is. And hopefully they don't, you know, hopefully it
0: It's it's, it's so many people that can learn just from your story. So I can understand why, you know, they grabbed you up for that. And, you know, I can see how everything that you've been through was preparing you for this and even more, right? So like you are, you've been um, uh, a, a Christian hip hop artist for how long now?
1: Um, we'll say, uh, a few years. It's been about
0: three years. Cause I'm like, nope. I know when that first, that first one I heard, I'm like, oh man, Jason is out here. He got some bars. Yep. He got bars for Jesus. And I like it. Yeah. You know, so I, I really am a fan of your music. I done told you that already. Thank and you feel, I mean, you feel that these are true stories. You know, you know how you had those rappers that's like talking about what they heard or maybe even what they saw, maybe even what they experienced. But the you you can tell this man, he is feeling this. This is his life he's talking about. And it's not just your experiences as far as in the street. It's your experiences of redemption like you're clear on that and yours is a story of redemption which is why i think so many people need to hear it because you know for those people that feel like they too far gone for those people that you know those young people and um that's on the street that are lacking mentorship and not really sure if god hears them you know you you can relate to all of those right and then Mm -hmm. if you had something to say to one let's first talk to that you know that that kid out there right who is is, you know thinking about doing going down the wrong path because he feel like he can only get what's what's coming or, or what he needs in this life if he does it the wrong way or the street way what would you say to that kid?
1: probably would just tell them uh, the truth, you know, and just, uh, just basically try to explain to them the consequences that come along with every decision that we make, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, and, uh, like how I do my kids and I always try to do, um, said a teacher call because my youngest son acting up in school he talk a lot you know mm-hmm. and uh, he got he got suspended and the other kid didn't get in trouble or whatever so I would just ask him, um, why is your teacher calling me mm-hmm. uh, because I was talking in class okay well why were you talking in class um, I don't know well you need to figure that oh. out Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying well because uh well Peter was talking I said but Peter ain't get suspended though mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying so uh just uh trying to, to get him, them to now they are very mature and um I'm proud of them to mm-hmm. that successful teenagers but just that thought process and getting them to use their own logic in situations where they're small or large. So that's usually like my approach to situations. Cause I would, at one point I was before COVID I was going into the juvenile transition center talking to the kids. Cause initially they had uh, some guys from college that, that uh, studying criminal justice or political science going in and talking to the kids who not from where we from.
2: Mm-hmm. And the
1: kids ran up out of there. You're like, I don't want nobody coming in here who wearing out <laughs> of no book trying to yeah. tell me something. Can y'all get us somewhere? Somebody been where we from? And that's where I came in at. Yeah.
0: So you have that conversation. Now, what about the, the person who is out there and maybe they don't know that just yet they, that their drug problem is out of control? You know, what if they don't know, you know, how how what does that look like? You know what I'm saying? Like, what would you say to that person? who was out there just abusing drugs and you know on the verge of that spiral that just haven't happened. To
1: be honest, Marlena. I pray for them. And um hopefully that they uh they figure it out on their own because one thing about addiction um your mama could tell you you gonna die,
2: mm-hmm. or
1: whatever, in the street, and until you're ready to stop, it ain't nothing that nobody could do or tell you. Until that's a decision you have to come up with on your own. Mm-hmm. So, only thing I would do is um try to meet them where they at, love them. If they if they hungry, feed them. If they need clothes, help them get clothes or whatever else, and assist them along their journey. Because from personal experience, I know. You're not gonna stop until you're ready to stop
0: that's so true
1: you know what i'm yeah. saying so um i could waste my time and i saying it's a waste of time but just sitting up there because a person you could tell them be sitting up there like i went through this and i had to go through this and i hit rock bottom and as soon as you get done they would be like <laughs> right it's like wow did you hear what he said <laughs> like can you yeah. give to get me get two dollars talk right. so for 45 minutes as soon as you get done it like you got ten dollars off problem I'm like, right
0: <laughs> Jason, I thought that's so weird. Here, nothing you just said you know what I'm saying that is so that is so true though you know you have to make that decision on your own right but you know what what I can say about you is you know first of all, I can, I can see that God's got great plans for you. He already, it's already working out, but I feel like it's just the beginning for you. So, you know, as you get to those challenges that's coming, continue to push through brother, because it is gonna be my privilege to continue to see you, you know, do God's work and to just show everybody his glory just by doing, being you. So thank you so much for taking time to be here with me and sharing your story. Um, I truly thank you so much And I wish you all the best In everything you got going on Thank you for having me Marlene. It's been my privilege Thank you so much to my guest Jason For stopping by TCW And sharing that remarkable story of redemption I wish you great luck On everything that God is doing In your life And I know that many are going to be blessed Just because of your faith And your obedience to God If this content spoke to you, if this story spoke to you and you feel that it may be a blessing to somebody else, please like it, please share it, and definitely please subscribe to my channel on YouTube, and remember now you can still listen to us on Apple Music as well as iHeartRadio. On this walk with God, I know that loving God can be easy, trusting God can be hard, but I believe that we can all get there. One step at a time on this Christian walk. I'll see you next time.
1: Uh, walk with me, talk with me. What you know about God? Will he ride with me? Come and open my eyes for me. Hit my story, show me more what's in store. And once more, listen, homie, can you walk with me? Talk with me. What you know about God? Will he ride with me? Come and open my eyes for me. Hit my story, show me more what's in store. And once more, listen, homie, can you walk? Uh. Can you walk? Let's walk.